the last uh, couple years ago, two and a, it's been about two and a half years ago we started, three years ago we started, my wife and I had the opportunity to, to build a house. And it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, I'm not a guy who naturally knows how to do all this stuff. So it was a great experience for us to learn. Uh, we did like the general contracting ourselves. And we did a bunch of the work ourselves. And so I had the experience of learning all of these things. And it was, it was amazing. Um, we're glad to be done. I'm not sure we would do it again, but we did it. And so there we go. And while I was building this house, uh, there's a little bit of insight I got. Because one of the things we had to do is we had to to dig this trench that went all the way from the power pole all the way to our house. And that was about 200 feet, 200 yards away is this long run. We had to build this, dig this four foot deep trench. And so we've got a backhoe on the property. And so it started out great because we're digging along the orchard. And the orchard, you could just dig down four feet. It was easy. It was gravy. And then we got to this spot where there used to be a driveway. And this driveway was solid rock. It was compact. It was the hardest stuff. And we're taking this backhoe, and we can't dig through it. And we're like, what are we going to do? And it's, a, it's like a, the driveway is probably 25 feet, 20 feet. I don't know. And we've got to figure out how to get a four feet deep trench over this uh, hard pan so we can get the power to our house and the water and whatever else we're doing. And, and so I'm, I'm there with my brother-in-law, and he's like, dude, this backhoe is not going to do it. And I'm like, well, what are we doing? And he goes, well, I don't know. We have to get that trench all the way across. And so is what I did. I put on my gloves. I put on my work gloves. I put on a sleeveless shirt, you know, to show the twins, you know, righty and lefty, you know. <laughs> and I grabbed my pick and I grabbed my shovel and I went after that thing. I went after that thing with that pick. And if you have ever had to do that with a pick, it is the worst job ever. Like I'm just I'm going, I'm going, and I'm like, look, I made three inches of improvement. Like, I'm, I spent all day, and I'm just, you ever get to that point where you're doing something, and you're just exhausted, and you're like, oh, and you, you know, you're just frustrated because you're like, this has got to be easier. The next day I come out, and my hands are blistered because I've been using that pick so much. I broke, I broke two picks doing this project. That tells you, like, like we, it was massive. And so I, 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 I'm out there, and I have blisters on my hand. My arms are shaky. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear something coming up. And I look, and my brother-in-law's driving up in his truck. And I'm like, what's he got behind his truck? And he's towing a jackhammer. He's towing a jackhammer. And I'll be honest, when I saw that jackhammer, I cried. Like, I, I cried. I dropped to my knees and I'm just praising God. Oh, God, you are real. Thank you so much. I love you. I will give my life to you again. And I'm just praising God. It took him 45 minutes with that jackhammer to violently cut through all of that hard pan and all of that rock. And uh, uh, we're finally able to get that trench across. Uh, you know, the reality is if he hadn't helped me that day, I would still be there today right now with those gloves on, with that pick still working at that thing. And here's the thing I realized with that project, though. I think I realized that, that many Christians, both some of us in this room here today and many Christians throughout the world, we kind of live our Christian life just like that. We put our gloves on, we grab our little shovel, and we're just going to live the Christian life on our own strength. And we're going to keep digging and keep working and trying to break through all that rock. And we're going to strive and we're going to fight and we're going to battle. And we're going to find, man, we just can't get very far. 
It continues to be a struggle. We've made three inches of progress, and we've got to go 25 feet at four feet deep. And it seems like we're just not making it happen. And what happens when we do it like this, what happens when we try and live our Christian life, when we're putting our gloves on and we're bringing our shovel and we're doing it in our own strength, what happens is one of two things happens. So the first thing that happens is we get really frustrated. We get frustrated. Why can't I do this? Why can't I be better? Why can't I make better progress? And so you get frustrated and sometimes you're just like, man, I quit. Like, I'm not going to do this Christian thing because I can't figure it out. I'm not very good at it. The second thing that happens, and happens all too often in church, is instead of quitting, we fake it, right? Where we try this Christian life, and it's really hard, we can't seem to, to, but we just, we we put on a facade, we put a smile on our face, and we act like everything is just fine. Like, that trench, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to go up and over instead of all the way through. And we, we, we fake it. That's not how the Christian life is supposed to work. So today we're in Acts chapter 1, and uh, we've been in the series for a couple of weeks now looking at the Holy Spirit, trying to get a, a biblical understanding of, of who the Holy Spirit is and what role he plays in the life of a Christian and in the life of the church. And, and we talked about the foundation of, uh, of who the Holy Spirit is. We said this is one of the foundational things we have to understand. It's the Holy Spirit is God himself who has taken up residence in our lives to be with us forever. Last week, we talked about some of the things the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is uh, our helper, our counselor, our comforter. And, and today, we're going to look at the power of the Holy Spirit. The power that the Holy Spirit has in our lives. And this is something you can look through the entire Bible and see again and again and again. You see the power of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 41, it says that the Holy Spirit gave uh, Joseph power to rule in Egypt. And so Joseph, as he becomes the second command uh, to Pharaoh, next to Pharaoh in Egypt, it was the Holy Spirit that gave him that power to lead and rule in Egypt. Yeah, the book of Joshua, or, uh, you look at Joshua and all his military power and what made him successful as a leader. Again, this is where Numbers 27 says it is a power of the Holy Spirit that gave him the ability to lead Israel into the promised land. In the book of Judges, uh, there's a story about Samson and how the Spirit of the Lord, I always often feel like this happens to me, how the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he was able to tear apart a lion with his bare hands. It's the Spirit of the Lord that gave him the power to do that. You see this again and again and again. You see this all throughout the Old Testament. And then it happens into the New Testament. Again, you're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit. In in, in Luke chapter 1, where the angel Gabriel, he comes to Mary and says, Mary, guess what? You're going to give birth to the Son of God. And Mary's like, well, how does that work? Like, like I don't have a boyfriend. I've never, like, like, how does this work? I'm not married. I've never been with a... And this is what uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 35 says, is the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be overwhelmed by the power of the Most High. Again, there's the, the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when Jesus gave his life on the, on the cross for our sins, Romans 8 says that it is the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And again, before Jesus ascended up into heaven, uh, he's talking to his disciples, and here's what he said to them. He said in, in, in Luke 24, he said, stay in this city for a little while. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power of heaven. You see this 
throughout Scripture time and time again. The power of the Holy Spirit. And what's crazy is that same power is available to us today. Yet too many of us, we're struggling. Too many of us go through this life and we're trying to figure out what it means for us to be a Christian and we're putting our gloves on and we're trying really hard and we're taking our shovel and we're trying to move the pile and it's not going anywhere because we haven't surrendered to the power available to us in the Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, the context for Acts chapter 1 is Jesus has already died. He's already risen from the grave. And he's spending some time with his disciples. Uh, and he's having this conversation with the disciples before he ascends up into heaven. And this is what he says, verse 4. Acts 1 verse 4. He says, while staying with them, Jesus ordered the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now we talked about the promise of the Father a couple weeks ago. You remember that? In John chapter 14. Where Jesus said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you a gift. In fact, he says in John 16, it is better that I go away because if I go away, then I will give you the gift from the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, he says, for John the Baptist, he baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, I, I look at this and I'm, I'm thinking, if he's talking about the Holy Spirit, why is he talking about baptism? You know what it means to be a baptized? It, the, the word baptism literally means to be immersed. This is why when we do baptisms here at Restoration Church, we're going to dunk you in the water. Because that's what the idea is. That's why for some of you, like when you get baptized, like we hold you in longer because you had all them extra sins, right? Wash them puppies away. And then you explode up in power. Woohoo! right? <laughs> One of the kids said, woohoo, that's awesome. <laughs> this is the idea of the Holy Spirit, that when you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's not just a little bit. It's not just, just, not, not just a fraction, that you are immersed, that you are, are, are filled and overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit, that you are, are, are literally filled completely to the brim, overpouring with the Holy Spirit. And what happens when that takes place? What happens when we receive the Holy Spirit? Verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Begin to wonder, well, what does that power mean? What, is that, what does that mean when, when Scripture says, when Jesus says you will receive power? The word power in the Greek is this word uh, dynamis, where we get our word dynamite from. And, and what that word means is that there is a force or a miraculous power. The idea is that when you are, are filled with the Holy Spirit, that you have this, this power, this explosive power from God. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he fills you with this overwhelming power. This, this, this dy dynamis, this overwhelming uh, power, explosive power from God. And I love this because here's what he says. You're going to have this power and this is what you're going to be able to do. The second part of verse 8. He says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That this power will come upon you and you will be able to have an influence not just in your neighborhood, not just in your city, not just in your state, not just in your country, but throughout the entire world. That you will have this power to be my witnesses. Because notice that the power of the Holy Spirit isn't a power to make our life easier. 
It's not a power to make ourselves great. It's not a power to say, look how cool I am. Look what I can do. There's a specific purpose behind that power. I mean, think about, think about this. Think about who Jesus is talking to. Again, he's talking to his disciples, right? These are guys who spent the last three years with Jesus. And it's almost like they never got anything right. I mean, constantly you see this where, where they just don't understand. Nowhere, nowhere in the Gospels do we see Jesus saying, hey, you know what, disciples, you guys are so awesome. You guys have such great faith. I can't believe I get to do this with you. No, Jesus never says that. He's constantly saying over and over, why don't you get this? Like, you've been with me for three years. Why do you have such little faith? These guys can't get anything right. I mean, Peter, who's the ringleader of the disciples, Remember his story? He, he, goes, he goes to Jesus. When Jesus is getting ready to be arrested, he says, Jesus, I got your back. I will never turn my back on you. Jesus, I got you. We're, we're homies. And what happened a couple hours later? Three times he denies Jesus. When Jesus, when Jesus died and, and, and rose from the grave, where were the disciples at? They were locked in a room scared to death of the Jewish authorities. These are guys who couldn't get anything right. You see that in Scripture. And I love that Scripture is honest about it. I love that the Bible is like, hey, these guys that we're supposed to look up to, man, they're not perfect. They're not sinless. They're like you and I. They struggle through life. And now they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're going to have this explosive power from God to, to be witnesses to their own community, to the extended community, and throughout the world. And they're going to have the power to take the message of the gospel everywhere. In fact, today, there are churches all across the world that are just like us, that are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit came upon those ordinary and goofy disciples. And because the Holy Spirit gave them power Gave them power to be his witnesses, to start the church that would take the mission of God to the ends of the earth. And that is why we are here, because the Holy Spirit came upon uh, believers before us and gave them power to be his witnesses. And the cool thing is, like that's not just for those disciples. It's not just for those religious people. It is that same power that transformed them disciples. That same power is available to all of us today who believe in Christ. That if we would learn to finally stop, take our gloves off, to put our shovel down and stop trying to do the Christian life on our own, if we would just learn and understand this, that we could surrender ourselves to the explosive power of God that is available to us through the Holy Spirit. This morning, uh, I want to wrestle with what kind of power does the Holy Spirit give us? Again, if the context is, this is what it looks like, what kind of power does Scripture tell us the Holy Spirit gives us? Well, there's, uh, there's a lot of things we can look at, but this morning we're going to see four distinctive qualities of the Holy Spirit, the power the Holy Spirit gives us to all believers. Number one, the Holy Spirit will give us power to share Christ boldly. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be his witnesses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, this is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul says, when I came to you, to the Corinthian church, he said, I didn't come proclaiming God with lofty speech and wisdom. He said, no, I knew nothing uh, uh, among you except Christ and Christ crucified. 
I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech, it, my message, it wasn't persuasive. I didn't have persuasive words. I didn't have incredible wisdom. My message was a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would rest not on men but on the power of God. Paul is saying, listen, I wasn't the, I'm, not, I'm not the most eloquent speaker. I'm not the greatest communicator. I'm not the greatest. I'm not the smartest. Paul says, I showed up. And the power of the Holy Spirit took my words and spoke them directly into your life to give you an understanding of the gospel and of who Jesus is. Quite honestly, that's my prayer every single week. I'm very aware. I'm very aware. I'm not the smartest person in this room. I'm very aware. I'm not the greatest communicator in this room. I'm very aware. I'm becoming aware that I'm not all that funny either. Like I try. I think you guys give me those sympathy laughs. Like, I'm becoming very aware of these things. But I'll tell you what. As I prep during the week, I am praying, and I'm believing that God will take my words, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, will customize them in a way that will speak directly into your life to help you draw deeper in love with who he is. In fact, this idea that the Holy Spirit will will give you the power to, to, to share Christ boldly, uh, years ago when I worked at Madison House, one of the things they had me do is they had me run this big Christmas party. And it was, it was a great outreach. Uh, we had uh, tons of at-risk families that would come in. I think we would have somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 people that would come into our building in one day. And we'd be able to love on them and give them a gift and have them have a good time. And one of the things they said, Kevin, here's part of your job, is you've got to, to give a gospel presentation. You've got to have them come in and you've got to share the message of Christ and then, Kevin, what you have to do after that is you have to give an invitation. Now, I don't, I don't know if you have been in church very long, like an altar call, like an invitation. That's where the preacher shares the message. And then he says, every eye closed, every eye closed, every head bowed. I have to think about this. Like, I'm terrible at it. Like, I'm terrible at it. And I knew it. But the job was, Kevin, you've got to give this, this message and this altar call. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, there's no way I can do this. I'm just, I'm not good at, I'm not good, I don't know what to say, I always fumble through my words, and, and I remember I was talking to a mentor, and I'm like, man, I just, man, I'm not good at this, like, I just don't think I can do this, and I remember he said, hey, let me pray for you, let me pray for you, that God would speak through you, and that God would give you the words. I remember that time that, that, that my mentor prayed for me, we got together and we did that party on a Tuesday afternoon. And there was 250 people that stood up and said, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Not because I'm a good communicator, not because I'm creative, but because the power of the Holy Spirit came upon me to, to share Christ's words, and the Holy Spirit opened people's eyes so he can receive, they could receive the message. Listen, that same power that, that God gave me, God can give to every one of you. As Christians, we are called to be his witnesses. We are called to share our faith with our friends, with our family members, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, people that don't know him, every one of us in the room. If we claim to be a Christian, we are, we are, are asked by God to share our faith with the people around us. I recognize for some of us, like that's hard. That, that, that's hard. We don't know what to say. We feel awkward about it. It just becomes difficult for us. 
And what I've said again and again is, is we look for an open door. You don't have to just walk in and, and let me tell you about Jesus. No, you look for an open door. And I've talked about these a number of times. That there are four situations in people's life that become an open door for us to share the gospel. Those four open doors, people die, relationships struggle, health fails, and things break. These are the opportunities. When you are in relationship with someone, one of these things happen. It becomes an opportunity for you. Hey, let me tell you about God. Right? So in the middle of the day, you're just going through your day, and a friend shares a struggle. A friend at school shares a struggle. Hey, here's what's going on with my parents. Here's the difficult circumstance we're in. That you have an opportunity at that point to say, hey, let me tell you how God can help you in this. Let me tell you how God can minister to you in that. Or you've got a neighbor who stresses over losing their job. You've got a coworker who's gone through a death in the family. That at that moment, you can pray to the Holy Spirit for boldness. And you can pray to the Holy Spirit, God, would you give me words? And you watch. I dare you, you watch. You pray and ask the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's going to bring to mind a verse. You're like, I don't even know that verse. Is that verse even in the Bible? Well, the Holy Spirit will give you a verse, he'll give you a word, he'll give you something that is helpful to the people around you. You might even say, hey, can I pray for you? And you'll pray like you've never prayed before. And you'll look back and be like, wow, like where did that come from? Not from my strength, not from my power, not from my wisdom. It came from the Holy Spirit and that gave you the power to share Christ. And this is what... Jesus is saying to these disciples that you are my witnesses to the entire world. But listen, when you go out to do that, I'm not going to send you out empty-handed. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will give you the power to, to speak and to boldly proclaim who Jesus is to the people around you. The second thing Holy Spirit gives us power to do is the Holy Spirit gives us power when we are weak. I think this will speak to someone in here today. In Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul writes and says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? There's many ways. But I love this because it says he prays for us. He says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. You know how this works out? This is how often it works out, where we have our gloves on, right? And we've got our shovel, and we're going we're gonna to do this Christian life thing. We're going to do it on our own, and we're going to make it happen. And then life gets tough, and we get tired, we get exhausted, we get overwhelmed, and we get to the point where we feel pretty weak, like, I don't know what else to do. I'm at the end of my line. And this is what Jesus says, is that the Holy Spirit he actually prays for us when we are weak. That when we are weak, that God's spirit is made strong. God's spirit is made perfect. Example of this, uh, same thing at Madison House. One of the, things, one of the other things I, I got to do at Madison House is I did several weeks of summer camp. And so we would take inner city kids and we would take them up in the mountains and give them a week uh, of just a great experience. Get them out of the city, into the, into the uh, wilderness, and experience just this beautiful uh, scene. The reality of it, though, is these kids we brought, man, they came from some hard backgrounds, some rough kids on the outside. 
And I always had a very small staff. We never had a, lot, a ton of staff and volunteers with us. And so we'd go to camp, and I'm in charge, and, and I'm in charge of, uh, of all of the programming. I'm usually in charge of figuring out the speaking, and I'm organizing the music, and I'm also in charge of all these campers, and I'm also in charge of all the volunteers. And it became to the point where it's a pretty overwhelming week. There's a lot going on. And I remember there was one specific year, uh, there was a young man that we knew of, and I'm like, man, I've got to get this kid to go to camp. I've got to get this kid to go to camp. And so I'm reaching out to him, I'm reaching out to him, and the day before, he's finally like, all right, Kevin, I'll go. I'll, I'll go to this camp thing. And I'm like, praise God. The issue was this kid was coming off a several-week binge of, of, I don't know what he was on, he was on something, and, and he comes into camp, and he's grouchy because he's kind of coming off this high. Uh, he's sleeping all the time. Uh, we're always trying to wake him up. And throughout this week, we're getting two, three days in, and I'm like, man, this kid is driving me bonkers. He's just biting everybody's heads off. And I remember it was Thursday uh, mid-morning. Thursday mid-morning, man, this kid has just continued to push buttons. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I confront him on, I don't remember what it was. Maybe I was asking him to wake up. I don't remember what it was. And I remember we're in this, this auditorium, and, and this guy, again, this is a big boy. He was six foot tall. He was 250 pounds. And even though I've got righty and lefty, like, he's a lot bigger than I was. I remember he gets up in my face. And I'm like, uh-oh. And he reaches back. And he throws a punch. And I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it whizzed right by my head. And he punches a wall right next to me. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do. There's the whole camp, everybody's watching, everybody's like, what's Kevin going to do? And I'm scared to death. He storms out of the room, and I'm like, one of you counselors needs to go follow him. And I walk out, and I go back, I was so desperate, I went behind the latrine. I went behind the outhouse, like I'm just overwhelmed. <laughs> I'm tired, I'm disappointed, I'm scared. I'm doubting my ability to do what God had called me to do. I'm looking at all this, and I'm like, oh, gosh. And one of those things, I've only experienced this a couple times in my life, where I'm on my knees behind the outhouse, and I'm in tears. I'm like, God, like, I don't even know what to say. And the presence of God in that moment, the Holy Spirit interceding on my behalf, the presence of God was so rich and so thick. Like I couldn't deny that God met me in that place, in that moment. That when I am at my weakest, the Holy Spirit is made strong. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit wasn't just ministering to me. Man, that boy came back in that night. I remember during the, the night session, I'm like, what's that sound? And there's that kid weeping in the corner. Weeping in the corner, he comes up and he's got these, these rags, these gang rags that he's held on to. And he throws them in the fire and says, I'm done. I'm done. I'm like, that's just this, this thing that when we are at our weakest, and that's where the Holy Spirit is at his best. That he intercedes in our behalf, that he is there, that he is strong when we are weak. And what the Holy Spirit did in my weakness, listen, I believe with everything in me. That, that wherever you are weak, that the Holy Spirit can be strong for you as well. 
And when you're going through life and you're like, what am I doing with these kids? These kids are just off the hooks. I don't even know what to do. They're too much for me. That in that moment when you are weak, the Holy Spirit, when you ask him, there's wisdom and grace that the Holy Spirit is ministering to you. That you've got this confrontation you've got to have at work. You've got a confrontation you know you need to have with a loved one. I hate confrontation. I avoid it at all costs. But you know you've got to have this confrontation, and you're like, man, I'm going to panic. I don't know what I'm going to say. Listen, this is where you can ask the Holy Spirit. And where you are weak, the Holy Spirit can be strong, can intercede on your behalf, can go before you. This is where you've got some sin in your life, some sin that you've, you know, maybe you've tried to put your gloves on, and you've tried to grab the shovel, and you're trying to take care of that sin on your own. And you're trying, and you're digging, you're like, man, I just... I keep trying, I just can't quite get rid of this thing. This is where the Holy Spirit, there's a power when you are weak. That if you just call on Him and seek His input. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul complaining about a thorn in this flesh. And he says, God, God, would you just take this away from me? God, would you take it away from me? And here's what God says to, to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will gladly boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then he is strong. Listen, wherever it is that you're weak, you're coming in and you're feeling it. Listen, cry out to God. Because the Holy Spirit will minister to you when you are weak intercede on your behalf, and give you his power and his strength. Number three, not only does the Holy Spirit give us the power to share him, uh, to share Christ boldly, not only does it give power when we are weak, but the Holy Spirit gives us power to have hope in a hopeless world. That we can have hope in a hopeless world. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In fact, this might be one of the, one of the secrets to, to, to life and to faith. Because so many of us, so many things that we put our hope in have such limited hope. We put our, we put our hope in things that have such limited hope. Our world tells us, hey, you need to hope in yourself. You need to hope in your circumstance. And those things have such limited hope that can't sustain us for the long term. Because what happens is when you put your hope in, your, in yourself, when you put your hope in yourselves and it's all about you, what happens when you mess up? Again, I put myself in that situation where I've got the gloves on and I'm trying to dig that ditch. Man, I'm either going to fake it or I'm going to quit. You put your hope in yourself, what happens when you mess up? You put your hope in people, what happens when they let you down? You put your hope in circumstances, they can only take you so far. That hope is limited if you put, anything that, if you put your hope in anything other than, than the unlimited God. Is it any wonder why depression and anxiety and fear are so common in our day and age? Because we are putting our hope in, an unlimited, in a limited thing. That can never sustain us. This is where when we become hurting and struggling and anxious and overwhelmed, if we put our hope in God, 
Scripture just said that we allow him to overflow our life with joy. That we would be filled with, with hope in the spirit. That means that even if we're facing the fact of possibly losing our job, that if we continue to hope in God, that we'll be okay because God is our sustainer. God is our provider. That when someone around us is sick, that, that, that we don't, when we continue to put our hope in God, that we view God as the, the healer. That we don't have to be overwhelmed with the circumstances that our hope can be secure because we are hoping in God who is perfect and unlimited and forever. That when we're worried about tomorrow, that if we continue to put our hope in God, that the Holy Spirit is our comforter and meets us where we are. Where we, where we lose someone we love. And as much as that hurts, Again, if we have our hope in God, we don't have to grieve as somebody without hope because we have hope in God. We have hope in the resurrection. We have hope in eternity in heaven with that person. And so the Holy Spirit gives us this, this power to have, have hope in a hopeless world. And if you put your hope in anything else, man, it's bound for disappointment. But the Bible says, as I trust in him, that God will fill you with hope and all joy. That you will overflow with, overflow with help by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing this morning. Holy Spirit gives us power to share Christ boldly. Holy Spirit gives us power when we are weak. Holy Spirit gives us power to have hope in a hopeless world. And number four. The Holy Spirit gives us power to experience the depth of the gospel. Let me explain what I mean by this. In our culture, we... Our culture has kind of diminished Christianity to kind of the lowest common denominator, right? You, Christianity is kind of the lowest common denominator. It's kind of like checking a box. Do you want to be a non-Christian or a Christian? Atheist or Christian? Well, I, I guess I'll choose this one, right? And so for many of us, for many of us, this either has been or this is our faith. Where, yeah, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I believe in God. You know, I did that prayer thing once, you know, where the pastor says, pray with me, and, and I repeated his words, and, and I raised my hand. I checked the box. I, I, I'm Christian. You know, maybe I go to church once in a while. I read the Bible every now and then. I occasionally read the Bible. And, you know, I, I try and be a good person. I try. And that's kind of what we have diminished our Christianity to be, where I do some of these religious things, and I try and be a good person, and that becomes what our Christianity is. And so we just continue to, life, continue to do life, continue to do our own thing with a little bit of Jesus mixed in. And we're putting on our gloves. We're taking our shovel and trying to do this Christian thing. Trying to continue down the, the, uh, the path that we've charted with a little bit of Jesus mixed into it. Is it, any, is it any wonder why so many of us who claim to be Christians don't look any different than the world around us? Is it any, do you ever wonder why? Why are we still hurting and addicted? Why are we filled with worries? Why are we still struggling as parents? Why are we still struggling in school? Still struggling with relationships? Still struggling with marriage? Why has our identity continued to shift on things that will never hold up? Why is this a reality for many of our faith? Because we have no power. Because we haven't come to understand exactly who God is and what God has done for you. And this is where the Holy, in his power, when we experience it, we have the ability to grasp the depth of the gospel. Here's what Ephesians chapter 3 says. Ephesians chapter 3, one of my favorite passages. 
Paul says, I bow my knees uh, uh, according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power. He's praying and praying for, for, for believers that they would be strengthened with power. And where's that power come from? Power through the Holy Spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, that's that gospel message. That Christ dwells in your heart through faith, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done for you. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that you may have strength to comprehend the width and length and height and depth, to know the love that Christ, uh, the love of Christ that passes uh, all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you recognize that our faith is much more than us just not doing some bad things and us trying to do some good things? Have you actually found the depth of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for you, of what Paul describes? Have you, under, have you been able to comprehend the width and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God, of what he has done for us? That while we are still turning our back on him, while we are still choosing our own life and our own sin, that Jesus chose to go to the cross for us, chose to take the weight of our punishment upon himself, to pay our penalty so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be redeemed. And what Paul is saying here is that, is that the Holy Spirit drives deep into our hearts the message of the gospel. The depth of the love that Christ has for us and that fills us with the fullness of God. When we allow the Holy Spirit to take the gospel message deeper into our hearts, you know what that does? When we understand the depth of what Christ has done for us, it frees us to begin taking the gloves off. It frees us to, to set the shovel down. It frees us to, to, to understand who he is and what he has done for us. And it's in that moment when we can begin to surrender ourselves and rest in him and his strength that we can begin to change from the inside out. That we begin to exhibit the fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the, patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the meekness, the self-control. That when we learn to take the gloves off and set the shovel down and trust in Him, that's when we can walk by faith and not by sight. That when we learn to take the gloves off and set the shovel down and trust in Him and what He's done for us, that's when we experience that unspeakable joy. That's when we have a peace regardless of our circumstances, a peace that passes all understanding. Listen, I think too many of us are doing exactly what I've done. You put the gloves on, and you grab the pick, and you start working away. Instead of allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to come, to work through us, to change us from the inside out. What I want for us this morning is that we would experience the power of the Holy Spirit. The truth is, there's no hoops to jump through. There's no weird things you got to do to experience His power. It comes back to the depth of the gospel. Do you see your need for Him? Do you see what He has done for you? 
Because when you surrender to that, when you submit yourself to that, that's where the Holy Spirit gives us this power to share Him boldly. Gives us power when we are weak. Gives us power to have hope in a hopeless world. Gives us power to have that depth of understanding of who He is and what He's done for us. Let me pray for you.